0: Hi everybody, I'm David Church and this is the Queer Ed Podcast. So in the last episode, we looked at my childhood and what it was like for me growing up in schools and particularly under Section 28. So in today's episode, we are going to reflect on queer education and think about what queer pedagogy really means to start questioning us for ourselves We'll also have a look at some key statistics from a Guardian article that was published earlier in this year, as well as some statistics from the Pink News website. Finally, after that, I'll reflect on what it's like for me as a queer educator and how there have been subtle changes in the way that I will talk about myself so I can be authentic in my identity. So I think it's important that we start by considering what we mean by queer theory And then what we understand that to mean when we think about queer pedagogy and a queer inclusive curriculum, because they're very separate things. Now, for those of you who aren't too familiar with it, the idea of queer theory is actually a really ambiguous term that it's really hard to define and to pinpoint. Now, while that's great, because it means that it's forever changing and it's forever evolving because of the nature of the word queer, meaning strange and uh, not normal, really, it does have challenges because it means that it's really hard to define for those people who don't understand what we mean by by queer. So I think that there are lots of definitions out there, and lots of people have tried to pin down, if you like, a definition of queer theory. Whereas actually what we're going to be doing in this podcast is using the approach of queer theory in that we are challenging anything that is the assumed norm, anything that is the assumed heteronormativity within the school cultures and looking to challenge that in a constructive way that means how can we make sure that it is more inclusive and more representative of society. I think that's important because when you look at the way in which people define queer theory it's by looking back at the history Therefore, when you're looking at education and improvements and developments in education and innovation in education, I think it's helpful to look backwards. And I think that in all reality, in all honesty, if you were to strip education down to its foundations, its bare bones, has it really had an impact and has it really innovated in a real sense since it was formalised and, um, in the Victorian era. And I would argue, actually, it hasn't, that we still have very much the same culture within our school structures. We still have, in many settings, the teacher who is the fountain of knowledge, who stands at the front, and lectures, if you like, the kids. Now, up until COVID hit, and teachers were forced to look at ed- education in a more innovative sense. And by that, I mean the use of technology. I don't think it had really been able to adapt and change. Now, I think part of the problem with that is because um, we're so busy living it and teaching through the year that it's really hard to stop and reflect. So my aim is that by using the, the approach of queer theory and applying that to education, not only can we really start looking at queer pedagogy, um, but we can really start looking at a, a queer inclusive curriculum. And I think a lot of the work that Sean Delenty is doing, a lot of the work that Andrew Moffat is doing, a lot of the work that the new NAHT diversity LGBT plus group is doing and Stonewall are doing is very much around uh, a queer inclusive curriculum. And that's incredibly important. And no one is ever going to deny that you know and the, the day I walk into a school and that's the norm is is a great day and that needs to happen but I think there's another layer to it there's the bigger context to it that moves beyond that inclusive curriculum which is when we start to queer pedagogy itself and by that I mean that we start to look at what is actually happening on in the day to day social exchanges between adults and children what norms are we valuing? What rituals, what behaviours are we um, aligning our children to? And what impact is that having on them? And I think for me, one of the big anchors of this, and one of the big things that made me realise this, is not so much actually the work by Judith Butler, although it is seminal and seems to have a, a big impact on queer theory, and certainly queer pedagogy is mentioned as a way of looking at it in a way of conceptualising queer theory. But actually, the book Straightjacket by Matthew Todd, which is an amazing book, and it's all about overcoming um, the legacy of gay shame and growing up in a straight world. And I think that, for me, really sums up what needs to happen in society, but also within our schools. There are children growing up in, in schools today who feel shame because of their inability their difference to fit in to be different to the school structures and the difference with the societal norms now when I reflect on my own childhood and particularly being at school I um, I was bullied for being gay. I was bullied because I was a massive Spice Girls fan. Now, within itself, being a Spice Girls fan is not a big issue. But when you're a 13-year-old boy, you're not subscribing to the gender norms associated with being a boy and being a teenage boy in particular. And it wasn't so much I was a fan of Spice Girls because I fancied them. Because that's one thing. So I was a fan of them genuinely for their music. So there was a real impact on me as a child because I was different, and that was never really accepted. It wasn't even discussed. And I think had that have been, I may have accepted who I am a lot sooner and come to terms with it. And as Matthew Todd references all the way throughout his book Straight Jacket, he talks about mental health and well-being. And for me as an educator, it is crucial that we ensure that all of our children have good mental health and it certainly is on the agenda there is a there is a lot of statistics out there about mental health in children and especially particularly within lockdown and coming out of lockdown and you look at statistics around suicide rates and we look at mental health around men in particular now imagine that you are a boy and I'm I'm using the reference point of a boy just because of my own lived experiences. But of course, there are lots of other scenarios out there. You're a young boy, say you're nine or 10. It's COVID. You're stuck in the same household. You want to explore who you are. You're not too sure. And you don't really have any escape from your family. Now, if you're living in a family unit where it's very traditional in its values and its norms. And... You're then going to school and schools are traditional in their values and norms and boys play football, girls don't. Boys wear blue, girls don't. Look at school uniform. And I think there's a lot happening there that means we are not allowing children to be free and to be open about thinking about who they could be. And I know there will be critics who will potentially attack this and say, well, it was just ridiculous. You know, boys just need to be boys and girls need to be girls. And that's just the way it is. And, if, like, of course, boys don't have to like blue and girls don't have to like pink. And, oh, uniform, it's only a dress. What does that matter? It doesn't make a big difference. Let's to get on with it. But I think it really does. And, you know, going back to that mental health point, there is a lot happening in society. We are... Now educating a gener- generations of children who are going to be impacted long term because of their inability to socialise with their friends outside. So when you put yourself in the position of a boy who is coming to terms with sexuality or starting to explore it, starting to realise that he might be different, in inverted commas, from the norm, and growing up in a society where it's not discussed, then I think that is still a challenge. And I think for me, what really strikes is when I reflect on the Netflix documentary Disclosure, where visibility of the LGBT plus community is discussed, and in particular, the way that the media portrays the trans community, um, it's a really interesting point. And I thought, actually, that yeah, there's more to, more to be done here. And then reflecting on my own experience, I thought, you know, It's great that we have TV characters. It's great that we have musicians. It's great that we have artists who identify as part of the LGBT plus community. And it's great that we're now getting to a point where that's not sensationalist news. It's just a fact of who they are. I still think TV and film has a way to go. I think that's behind, behind music. And yes, the media is doing a lot to really promote and to... Educate wider society around LGBT plus inclusivity and diversity. That's not the solution. We can't just sit and wait and allow the media to change people's perceptions. Yeah, it's powerful. But if we start with true diversity and true inclusion from a very young age when we think about education, then we've got more power and more strength, I guess, to really change the mindset of society. Now as I said, this is more than just looking at queer inclusion um, and education and changing our curriculum materials, but it's more about changing the culture of a school in itself. So it's things like do we have head boy and head girl? Those in their own right have gendered norms attached to them. Do we have a sports day? Do we still have boys and girls races or do we just allow it to be a race for that class? When we have um, visitors around the school, often what I've noticed is that in schools I've worked in, if they are asked then to get a tour, and it's a wonderful thing to see, it's 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 brilliant. When you have a school where you can get the children to give a visitor a tour and they have a, a walkie-talkie and you know they're completely in control and they're your your sixes. But what's really interesting is normally it will be a boy and a girl that will do it, whether it's consciously chosen or subconscious. And I think that's what it's about. It's about changing the, that culture um, of even using gender as a way of differentiating people. And I've been guilty of this in the past as well. And I will say to them, when I used to be in a class, I would say to my class, boys go and line up. Girls go and line up. Why am I doing that? Why am I unpicking the gender? Why am I looking at that as if I want to make them different? Now, the answer is, it's the lazy way of doing it. It's the go-to Um, way my brain has been conditioned, if you like, into looking at gender and saying, right, boys are being too noisy, you need to stay in. Girls, aren't you sitting beautifully? You can go out to break. We all do it. And I think if we reflect on our practice as educators, we'll see that we're all doing it ourselves. So it's about making ourselves aware, which is the first step, that we're doing it. And only once we're aware of it, can we start to unpick it and start to change it. Now, I'm really proud to say that the school I now work in, we don't have head boy and head girl. We have um, hub captains. So the same as houses, but we have hubs instead. So we have a hub captain and a deputy hub captain. There has not been a mention of gender. Yes, we will look at our groups and we'll look at how we are representing our school um, in a diverse way. So we'll look at our people premium, our disadvantaged representation. We'll look at our ethnicity representation, our children that speak English as an additional language or those that have got additional needs. But I have deliberately not gendered the children that are on that list. So here are some statistics that highlight the need for a queer pedagogy and a queer inclusive curriculum in our schools. When I look at a report that was um, discussed in The Guardian back in February this year that was saying that about 7% of children have attempted suicide by the age of 17 and almost one in four say they've self-harmed in the past year. That shows that the impact of COVID along with their mental health is really important not just for society but also in education systems. When we consider other factors such as levels of deprivation and um, lack of outdoor space, even families that are growing up in one bedroom flats. This all has an impact. So I think that it's crucial that we don't disregard the need for our children to have good mental health in schools. In addition, when you look at the hate crime statistics published by the government in October 2020, there's been a real rise from approximately 40,000 cases in 2012-2013, up to nearly 100,000 cases in 2019-2020. Look at cases linked to sexual orientation or transgender identity, they are on the rise. For example, In the year 2015 to 2016, there were 6,700 hate crimes that referenced sexual orientation. In contrast, in 2019 to 2020, that had risen to 15,839. When you look at the transgender community, in 2015-2016, there were only 820 cases reported Whereas now, in 2019-2020, there are 2,500. Reflecting on the change from 2018 to 2019, both sexual orientation has increased by 19% and transgender hate crimes have increased by 16%. They're the two highest um, hate crime strands that have seen an upward trend. The only one that's seen a downward trend, and that's only by 5%, is religion. The Stonewall Schools Report of 2017 shows that nearly half of LGBT pupils are bullied for being LGBT in Britain schools. Half of LGBT pupils hear homophobic slurs frequently or often at school. And more than four in five trans youth people have self-harmed, as have three in five lesbian, gay and bi young people who aren't trans. More than two in five trans young people have attempted to take their own life and one in five lesbian, gay and bi students who aren't trans have done the same. These statistics clearly show that there is a place within our school communities to tackle not just homophobic, biphobic and transphobic bullying but to really queer our school spaces to make them accepting for every single child. Further to this, um, there was an article in Pink News in February 2020 that um, says that more than four in 10 LGBT plus teachers in UK schools have personally experienced homophobia, biphobia or transphobia at work by the teachers union NASUWT. Now, in the report, 17% said they'd seen this happen on many occasions. So it's great to see that teaching unions are now starting to really take note of this culture within the education system. And although more than three quarters of LGBT plus teachers said they would feel comfortable reporting anti-LGBT plus incidents, one in ten said they would not feel able to do so. And that's why I think it's crucial that as a senior leader myself, that we start to really talk about these things in a more open way. And schools need greater support in how we really develop and construct not only a queer inclusive curriculum, but a queer pedagogy and a way that we begin to queer our school cultures. I think that, as well as reflecting on how education can change for the better and the importance of looking at queer culture and how we can make school communities more inclusive for everybody, I think it's also important to consider and reflect on my time as a leader within schools. And I would have to say that I haven't really ever considered until very recently how being a gay man could have an impact on my journey as a teacher. And it is something that I I still struggle with today, in preparation for this episode, I tried to write down some notes about how has my career been impacted positively, positively or negatively, actually, um, about being gay and how that may have had an impact. And I think for me, I've always dealt with it in quite a positive way. And certainly, whenever I've gone for a job interview, I've always referenced my partner and used his pronouns Um, So for me, I've always felt comfortable within any school community, uh, within the staff team, to be my authentic self. However, where it was really subtle for me, really different, is the way that I would communicate and uh, reflect who I am as a person to the children that I teach. And although I would happily say to staff that I'm gay and tell them about my partner and use the correct pronouns of he and him, whenever I would talk to the children... I wouldn't want to hide away from the fact that I was in a long-term relationship, but I wouldn't use the correct pronouns for my uh, boyfriend or my partner. I would always be really careful about the words I would use, and I would always refer to them as my partner or they. So I think for me, that's been the biggest shift uh, when I started teaching, is that I was very conscious of that, whereas now, it doesn't bother me at all, and... I have happily come out as gay to year sixes as part of School Diversity Week in June of last year. So I think that actually for me as a gay man and as a as a queer teacher, that's, that's the subtle difference. When I'm talking about it with my with colleagues to start with, I was open, but I wasn't with the children, whereas now I'm quite open with everybody. I think it's great we're at this point now where members of the LGBT plus community don't need to feel they need to hide privately that we can be accepted for who we are within our schools and the school cultures that we're within so we're certainly taking the right steps and we're moving in the right direction it's just where do we go from here so from the experiences that I've shared with you today thinking about my own childhood and upbringing and about what we could do in schools today I think that that's exemplified and highlighted just why queer theory is important in our schools. That yes, there is that element of a queer inclusive curriculum being needed so that I could have seen myself in the education system as I was growing up, but also that we are queering the social constructs that we are normalising within schools. So that is it for this episode of the Queer Ed Podcast. My name is David Church and I'm wishing you a very happy queer week.